0: I don't think it goes without saying that um, these last couple weeks they've they've been pretty challenging for us as a nation, as a as a group of people, as a planet. I would say, um, this past week I, I did something a little different. I I read a sermon by somebody that I hadn't experienced in a while, and uh, he started by reminding everybody of the sermon of, of the story of Rip Van Winkle. Do you remember this story? This is a story, uh, it's a fictional story, of a guy that slept for 20 years. And I mean, the story is significant in and of itself, but there's another point in this little story that is almost overlooked, and it was the sign that Rip saw as he went up the mountain. So the story goes that he's, he's going up the mountain and he sees a, a sign with a picture in it, and the picture has a picture of King George III from England. Well, Rip, I call him Rip, we're on a first name basis. Uh, He goes up on the mountain, he sleeps 20 years, he comes down and the sign was replaced with a picture of George Washington, the first president of the United States. And when Rip Van Winkle looked up at the picture, he was completely lost. The story says, quote, he knew not who he was. The speaker of the message then says this, quote, the story reveals to us that the most striking thing about the story of Rip Van Winkle is not merely that Rip slept 20 years, but that he slept through a revolution. While he was peacefully snoring up in the mountain, a revolution was taking place that at points would change the course of history, and Rip knew nothing about it. He was asleep. Yes, he slept through a revolution, and one of the great liabilities of life is that all too many people find themselves living amid a great period of social change, and yet they fail to develop the new attitudes, the new mental responses that the new situation demands. They end up sleeping through a revolution. The speaker continues saying, there can be no doubt that a great revolution is taking place in the world today. In a sense, it is a triple revolution. It's a technological revolution, a revolution in weaponry, then there's a human rights revolution. Yes, we do live in a period where changes are taking place and there's still the voice crying through the vista of time saying, behold, I make all things new. Former things are passed away. Uh, That sermon was preached on March 31st. It was called Remaining Awake Through a Great Revolution, March 31st, 1968, by a guy named Martin Luther King. Skip ahead 52 years, and we're continuing to deal with the same issues, aren't we? Uh, The events that transpired on Memorial Day 2020, they've had a significant impact on us, to say the least. Memorial Day 2020 is when a, a white police officer put his knee on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds until Mr. Floyd could not breathe. This past Tuesday, June 9th, uh, George Floyd was laid to rest in Houston. I, I don't know about you guys, but over the past several weeks, um, I have found myself with a myriad of emotions. Spans the whole spectrum, and I'm just going to be honest, sometimes I don't know what to do with them. Um, I'm not the only one. Last week, my wife and I, Leslie, we had the privilege of spending time with our senior high youth group and led by Aaron and Leah Schwabauer. Ooh. And uh, we, we have a little bit of a tradition now, I guess. It's our fourth time doing this. And um, we do a Q&A session with the youth group. And the young people can ask us anything they want. And I love it because it's all anonymous. They submit their questions ahead of time. We have no idea who's asking this. And I, I still don't want to know. Um, one of the questions in particular caught my eye because I'm just going to paraphrase the question, but one of the questions was, I have all these emotions. I feel all this rage, all this anger, and I don't know what to do with it, and is that okay? Oh, I love that question. Um, If you know me, you probably know that I'm not the most political person out there. Um, My wife and I, we like to keep up on things, but you're not going to find me getting involved with arguments and debates on social media but as I've thought about this issue, um, as it keeps coming up in conversation and in my own spirit, I realize that this is not the time to be silent on this issue. Furthermore, for me, I believe that staying silent on this would be wrong. But see, it's not just me. I believe that, um, well, I'll get to that. We had an elders meeting on Monday, and I just, I just want to tell you this, that... Um, not talking about me, I'm talking about the other four guys. This church is led by a group of loving, caring men and their wives. I cannot say enough about this group of guys. And I knew that this morning I didn't want to stand up here saying I, but I wanted to be able to say we. And we don't always get a chance to collaborate on our messages, but this one we did. Because this is this is on behalf of the eldership team, because now is not the time for us to be silent on this issue. So this morning what we're going to do, is um, we're going to take a look in the scriptures about what God has to say about diversity and discrimination and then we're going to get really practical. Um, However, before I do that, before I go any further, I want to say a couple things really clearly. To all of our black brothers and sisters, we are 100% Undoubtedly, with you, we are here for you. Um, we are we are grieving with you, and we love you, and we support you. And I I cannot imagine I cannot imagine the pain that you are going through right now, and all the emotions with that. Um, on a personal note, I I realize that I am a, a white male, 41 years old, living in Helena, Montana, and I am fully aware that I don't know what I don't know. And I, I feel extremely unqualified for this message. But let me tell you this, I do feel 100% qualified to tell you again that this is a place where you will always be safe. You will always be loved. You will always be supported. Because now more than ever, we are listening. And you will always have a place here at Mount Helen Community Church because I will say this clearly. Racism is wrong. It is contra- thank you, it is contrary to God's nature. It is contrary to his character. It is contrary to everything he teaches us in the Bible. And we will not tolerate it in any way, in any form, any fashion, any expression, period. that being said, uh, let's dive in. Let's get, a, let's get a biblical foundation on the value God places on diversity, and then, like I said, we're going to get practical. So, Webster's definition defines racism as a belief or doctrine that one's own race is superior and has the right to dominate others, or that a particular racial group is inferior to the others. I say that because that's the cultural definition of racism, and I want to take that cultural definition, and I want to line it up against what God has said, what God's word has said. So, um, we're going to go point by point. So point number one, we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to start at Genesis. Point number one, we were all created, all created by the same God in God's image, in his likeness. When God was creating things, Genesis one twenty-six, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So biblically speaking, There is no evidence of separate races. There are separate ethnicities, but we're all one race. We are the human race created by God. One God, one Father. All of us have the same creator, so if my math is right, that makes us brothers and sisters, each one of us. The same token, point number two, we're all different parts of the same body. So Old Testament Genesis, we're going to skip ahead the New Testament, and we're going to look at some writings from the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. Most, most of these books that you see in the New Testament are actually letters to groups of people. This is no exception. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's, he's writing us, he's, he's using an analogy about the human body, and he says this in chapter 12, "...the body is a unit, though it is composed of many parts, and although its parts are many, they all form one body, so it is with Christ." Now, at this point, you would think that he's going to go into the function of the body parts or the gifting, but he doesn't. He goes right to ethnicity. Verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. For the body does not consist of one part, but of many. Then you skip down to verse 25. So that there should be no division in the body— but that its members should have, listen to this, its members should have mutual concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. We are seeing that every single day in the news. Racism doesn't just hurt one ethnicity that it's targeting, it hurts everybody. That's what Paul said years ago. We should have mutual concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. We are all part of the same body. And with that, we are all equally loved by God. Let me say that again in case it's confusing. We are all equally loved by God. If you remember last year, we as a church went through the book of Galatians, uh, chapter by chapter. And like I said, Galatians is a letter a group of people written by Paul, and Paul really loved this group of people, and what was happening is this group of people um, was getting a little bit off track in some of their beliefs and some of their practices, so a lot of the book of Galatians is Paul writing to this group of people, reminding them from where they came, and see if this sounds like something that would apply to us today. Galatians three twenty-eight: there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Are you seeing a theme here? And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, to be clear, the Bible completely strikes down any belief that one ethnicity is inferior to another, period. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Jesus himself, he, he ministered to Gentiles just as he did to Jews, uh, just as well as Samaritans who were despised by the Jews. Uh, later in the book of Acts, Jesus made clear to Peter that the Gentiles were not unclean. Um, I, I want to take a, just a little pause here. I, I see you guys, a lot of you guys are writing this down. We're going to make this PowerPoint available. So don't worry if you don't get every scripture. We'll, we'll help you out. We'll get this to you. Um, Jesus also made clear to Paul that he was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The same Gentiles that he said to Peter, these, these people aren't unclean, he said to Paul, you are going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. God clearly loves all people, you guys. All people. And where ethnicity is concerned, there is no division, there's no hierarchy in the human race, period. Point number four, all people are welcome to salvation in Christ. There's, there's not different ways of salvation based on your ethnicity or your social class. It doesn't exist. It's all the same. God wants all mankind to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. In First Timothy 2, verse 4, they're talking about God. God who wants all people, what people? All people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And maybe the most famous Bible verse out there, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God has made the way for all of us, no matter what you look like, no matter what your background. He's saying to everybody, Come. He wants all people to be saved. Point number five. You guys, this is such a cool picture. I just have to, I love this picture. Multicultural. Multicultural is our history. And it's also our destiny. Let me show you this really cool picture. Um, two weeks ago was the day of Pentecost, right? So as we look in the book of Acts, during the day of Pentecost, so many people, I don't have time to go into it, but so many people had to make quite a trek to come to this. And I want to I show you what happened. So Acts chapter two, verse two through 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit enabled them, it gets better. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. All these different people groups, and they heard their each language being spoken. This was before Google Translate, right? This was Holy Spirit, Supernatural Translate. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and I know this doesn't mean a lot to us, but this is all the different cultural groups that are represented. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. This is painting a picture of this huge map. All these people coming together. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is the first time this has ever happened on the earth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this this group of thousands of people coming together, and the Spirit of God just descends on this group of people. Everybody is praising God, but you you don't hear Spanish, and you don't hear French. You hear your own language. The Holy Spirit was translating so everybody at once could hear. Everybody else worshiping God that is our past that is our history and such a rich history but it gets better let me tell you this it gets better because do you want to see a picture of our future what you can time travel well sort of there's a book in the Bible called Revelation and it's a weird book I'm going to tell you that it's a weird book but in the weirdness because weirdness is just anything we don't understand right John provides a vision of the future. Let me show you this. This is this is great. Revelation chapter seven verse nine. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Every nation standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Experts believe today that there's over uh, 650 different ethnic groups on the planet. And then within that, uh, language experts believe that there are over 6,500 languages on the earth today. This picture that John gives us in Revelation of our future is a picture of everyone together. When we are together on the earth today, when we are together, we are a closer representation of what heaven will be like than when we are apart. This is a picture of our future. This is a picture of our destiny the way God intended. This is what racial reconciliation looks like. If you want to ask, what does it look like? That's what it looks like. Every tribe, every tongue, together. That's what it looks like. One Christ, one body. That's exciting to me. That is the standard, that is the bar God has set. Five points. We're all created by God, in God's image. We're all different parts of the same body. We're all equally loved. All people are welcome to salvation in Christ. And multicultural, thank you, Lord, is our history. And multicultural, thank you, Lord, is our destiny. Those five points boil down to one fact. That racism is bad theology. It's wrong. It's inconsistent with the Bible. It's inconsistent with God's character. It's inconsistent with God's nature. So, as I said, I, wanna, I wanted to lay a, a biblical foundation for us so we're all on the same page. But, what do we do with that? Where do we go from here? And this is where we're going to get really, really practical for a few minutes. Um, last time I spoke, it was four weeks ago, and... One of the things I said, and I had no idea that it was going to be in regard to this, but one of the things I said was that the choices that we make during this season are going to determine who we become in the next season. You want to set it a different way? The choices you make today are going to determine your tomorrow. It's Just fact of life. And I'm going to offer you um, a couple practical things that you can do. Now, I'm not naive enough to think, okay, we have, we have this problem going on in the world today are these two sermon points, is this going to fix our world? I believe that this is going to be the start of a conversation. This is going to be something that we can do. So no, I'm not naive enough to think this is going to fix all our issues, but I am hopeful to think this is going to do a little something for me, at least, because that's what it's done this week. Um, again, I, I want to be as clear as possible with this. Before I get into the points, I want to be as clear as possible. Um, friends, it's, it's, not, it's not enough to simply not be a racist. Non-racism non-racism is not the goal here. Friends, if, if we're gonna change anything, if we're gonna change Helena, if we're gonna change Montana, the United States, Earth, um, we, have to, we have to do better than non-racism. Practically speaking, non-racism amounts to indifference at best towards racism. Um, it's like saying uh, whatever, as Jesus followers as salt and light of the world as Jesus has called us, we must not just stop at non racism we must be anti racism, just like we 're anti bullying or anti domestic violence. We must not tolerate it in any form let me Let me put it to you like this if're if you 're if you're walking down the street and you 're walking by somebody abusing a child you wouldn 't Hopefully, you wouldn't walk by and say, well, uh, I'm not a child abuser, and keep walking. See, when you're anti-something, you address it when you see it, and you speak up when you hear about it. So then, the first thing we have to do, I would propose, in getting really practical, and this is where it gets, it gets really tough, I'm just going to tell you. The first thing we have to do is examine our hearts. Um, I, I wrote down a question for me this week and I want to share it with you guys. And let me just tell you, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy question. It is not something to just breeze by because as I asked this question to myself, I looked in the mirror and I saw some things that I hadn't thought about before. I saw some things that uh, laid dormant, honestly, from my, from my childhood and just the way I was brought up. Um, I didn't necessarily like what I saw in the mirror but that's the first step, isn't it? Awareness. So my question to all of us this morning is, what are you like to people not like you? What are you like to those people who don't look like you or maybe they come from a different background from you? And again, don't, don't rush through this too quickly. Don't just say, yeah, I've got that. Take, take some time, even this week, and let that settle. Let that annoy you. Let that question frustrate you because it should frustrate you. It should cause something to rise up within you saying, I I think I might be able to be better in this. What are you like to people not like you? What are you like to people that don't look like you, don't talk like you? What is their experience of you? Building on that question then, what should you be like to people not like you? Fortunately for us, Jesus answered this question. Remember that famous scripture I talked about before, John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave. The Bible calls us to love each other just as God has loved us. You talk about a standard being set? When God so loved the world that he gave, he set up a precedent for us. He showed us uh, who to love and how to love. He loved by giving something so special and something, someone so dear to him. And then he, he gave it to who? Who'd he give it to? The world. He gave it to everybody. Do you see in that that there's talk about one ethnicity in there? I don't. He gave it to everybody. He set the bar. And then when, when Jesus was on the earth, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture because this is towards it's toward the, the latter time on, uh, on Jesus when he was here on earth and the religious leaders of the gr- uh, day were gathering and, and they said, okay, we're, we're gonna test this guy. We're gonna see how much he knows. And they gathered with him and they said, teacher, of all the commandments, let's see if he gets this one right, what's the greatest commandment? No, no, you gotta pick one. What's the greatest commandment? Don't screw it up. And Jesus says this. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and then Jesus cheats the question. He says, No, no, I'm, I'm going to give you another one. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, when we were with a youth group, somebody asked, um, What's your philosophy of life? And I'm like, That's a good... I I don't know. I, We really didn't. We talked about it as a couple and I was like, I, I don't know. I said if you love God and if you love people, I think you can figure out everything else. And that was our answer, because that was his answer. Love God and love people. In John chapter 13, another different conversation, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And then listen to this, he sets the bar, as I have loved you. How are we supposed to love? As I have loved you, so you must love one ethnicity. I'm sorry, that's not what it says. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I had this thought this week. I've never had this thought. Isn't it interesting that this is the only time in in the in the scriptures where it says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples? Isn't it interesting that he didn't say, Well, if you preach a good sermon, or if you drive out demons, or if you hold a tent event revival, that's how they're gonna know. He didn't say isn't that interesting? Of all the ways he could have said this, if you want to know how the world is going to know you're my disciples, this is how they're going to know. If you love one another, that's it. That's all you have to do. And I think at points, if I'm honest, we're getting that wrong. We're getting that wrong. And I can only speak for myself, I'm getting that wrong. Because if Jesus said, that's the bar, if he said, okay, this is how the world's gonna know you're my disciples, if you love one another, that's all you have to do, I have to say, okay, Tyler, you can do better. You can do better with that. Last year um, at the Global Leadership Summit, which is a fantastic leadership conference that we do every year here, it's a simulcast, we heard the difference between diversity and inclusion. Um, In my workplace, those two words go together. There's a whole department called the Diversity and Inclusion Department. But this speaker separated it, and I love it, and I wanna share it with you. She said, diversity is inviting somebody to the party. Inclusion is asking them to dance. Isn't that good? Friends, if if we're going to be different from this day forward, we have to catch that, and we have to put it into practice. It's not enough just to know of people from different ethnic groups. That does nothing for them. That's, That's the equivalent of them being at the same party as you. My question is, are we asking them to dance? what does that mean it means are we are we bridging cultural differences and asking people for an investment of time are we sharing meals are we sharing coffee are we sharing our lives are our kids playing together are we are we sharing time in our life that is asking them to dance and i even when i say them i hate that i really do because it's us it's asking us to dance Diversity is inviting them to the party. Inclusion is asking them to dance. I need to be asking more people to dance. I just, it's just honest. I need to be saying, hey, come over. Sit on our patio, provided that the wind stops. <laughs> Perhaps this, this whole thing, all these points, can be summarized with this last point. Um, last week, Jason Harris, our community life pastor, um, gave us a great message on the armor of God and then that was out of the book of. Very good. I the, listened. Uh, that was out of the book of Ephesians. Well, there's another encouragement that I want to show you. Paul, same Paul that we've been talking about all morning, he gave us an encouragement out of the same book in chapter 4, so a couple uh, chapters back. He says this He says, As a prisoner in the Lord, then, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and with diligence to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See if this language is familiar. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all. language there it's not a metaphor, he wasn't speaking metaphorically he was literally, a prisoner, many times, and he said hey would, I mean wouldn't that be fascinating to you if if you have this guy that's lived so much life and now he's in jail for what he believed wouldn't you want to be like hey I I wanna I wanna what do, what do you believe what is it that you can help me with he says this. Live a life worthy of your calling. If you wonder if your response is right during this time. If you wonder, emotion, I mean, it, it, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? Let's go back to this. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received because it's a, it's a grand calling. Humility, gentleness. Elsewhere in, in Galatians, it talks about, uh, Paul talks in Galatians about bearing with one another, um, carrying one another's burdens, he talks about. Preserving the unity. That's something that I want to be a part of. You guys, um, here's your obvious statement of the day. The world isn't going to change until those living in the world change it. Anne Frank famously said, how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before beginning to improve the world. You guys, I, I believe to the core of my being that the church is called to be part of the answer. We are called to be a forerunner in this for the issues we're seeing. Why? Because we have experienced unconditional love. And we know better. And so we can do better, right? We we serve a God. Think about this. We serve a God who chose us. And then he designed us. This is blowing my mind. He chose us and then he designed us to look different from one another. And then he said, this is how they're going to know if you're my disciples, if you love one another. He set the bar for us. One of Jesus's, not one of, Jesus's last prayer on earth was that we would be one. Have you ever been in the opportunity in your life where you could answer a prayer request from Jesus? I haven't. This is it. We have the opportunity to answer a prayer request. Jesus said, my last prayer is that you would be one. You know, maybe one day the world won't see skin color. And maybe one day um, different ethnicities wouldn't cross the street in fear in their own neighborhood. You guys, if if we're going to have even a prayer of changing the issues that are gripping the world, where does it start? It starts right here. It starts right here. We have to be salt. We have to be light to our world. We have to be part of a better way, a more loving way, the way that Jesus showed us through the ages time and time again. They will know you're my disciples if you love one another. This is what Paul talked about. Bearing with one another in love. Preserving the unity. Loving unconditionally. You guys, if we get that, and if we do that, I think we can affect change. And you might be out here saying, well, who am I? I even if I do that, what, what's going to change? And one of my favorite speakers says this. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. If you do that for one person, I believe you're going to give permission for somebody else to do that. Bearing with one another in love, preserving the unity, loving unconditionally. Let me pray for us this morning as we close. God, I'm going to steal your prayer this morning, Father. And I pray, God, that we would be one. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to bless you by helping to answer that prayer request that you had. That we would not see division, that we would not promote um, segregation, God, that we would love our brothers and sisters as you have called us, God, because we want the world to know of you and we want the world to know of your love. And God, I just pray this morning, Father, just a simple prayer, that we would go from here, Father, being one, that we would promote love and we would promote unity, Jesus. Thank you for these people, Father. I I pray a blessing as we go, Father, and I just pray, God, that um, that this would be the start of a, a conversation, Jesus. In your name, amen.